are standing on a rich history and tradition. Now, we don't want to just say, okay, the tradition and the practice of the tradition makes us Christians. But what we want to do is say, we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the fact that we are connected to something that is not just today, but it has been tested through time and gives us a firm foundation to stand on. So, if you ever wonder why we do some of the things we do, that's why we do it. And uh, if you have any more questions, I will try to figure out an answer for you. So... Today we look at the fact that, that we are called. And so before we start, I would just like to say a quick prayer. So Lord, we need your help. We need to understand your ways. Lord, we know that if it is not for your Holy Spirit, we do not understand the things of God. And so we are relying upon you to reveal yourself to us and to help us respond in a way, Lord, that is by the strength of you and your Spirit in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I were to ask each one of you, if you were called by Jesus, you might say, oh yeah. But if I were to say, if you were called by Jesus to be his disciple, well, the answers might vary. Often we look at these great saints of old, and we look at their lives and their mission work, and we go, well, they're definitely a true disciple of Christ. Last week we looked at this pattern of baptism and we, what we saw was that as soon as someone believed, they were baptized. By faith they baptized children because they want the sin issue to be dealt with and they want that kid to grow in the faith. Last week we really just kind of, if you, if you haven't listened to it, I pray that you would maybe look at the podcast. We have everything on podcast. Portals of the Prayer, by the way, is on our podcast. Um, and then Facebook Live did not record last week, so you can't go there. I'm sorry. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, you know what I'm saying. Um, but we saw that the command of Jesus was to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So really, when we look at our lives in Christ, it should be we go and we, we make disciples and we baptize them. That's what we do. However, we have discovered that in the church today, many people that have not been baptized and may not even consider themselves a disciple of Jesus. There are many people, believe it or not, not here of course, that go to church on a regular basis and don't think that they're a disciple of Jesus. Now I have a good friend, well I wouldn't say good, I, but a friend in California, and you know, his name of his church is Disciples Church, so I guess they better know what they are when they're going there. But it's, that's the reality, is the church is made of disciples of Christ. Many consider Christ as their Savior, and they love the forgiveness of sins that Jesus freely offers, but to be a, considered a disciple, that could be a little too radical for some of us. Why? Because we're supposed to be our own person, right? Don't conform me into your little box. That's what we say, anyway. You can be anything you want, we tell our kids. Not really. Some kids can't do certain things. It's okay. They don't have to. The word disciple is defined as one who follows Christ. It's interesting, if you look at different dictionaries, the first thing is a follower of Jesus Christ when you look at disciple. It's also one who assists in the spreading of the doctrine of the one that they follow. So not only are you following Jesus, but you're also supposed to be spreading what he taught and about his doctrine. Doctor means teaching. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you follow him and you assist him in the spreading of the teachings of Jesus. We read in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus spoke and he said, come follow me. And immediately, Peter, Andrew, James, and John dropped their nets and followed Jesus. Now, maybe it was a bad fishing day. 
Maybe they had an unruly boss. Maybe their dad was being rude to them. I don't know. Now, many of you are hoping that maybe Jesus is asking you, so you're telling me Jesus asked me to quit my job? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Now, maybe he is telling you. That's between you and him. And if you want some counsel on that, there's some people here beside that will help you with that because I'm a little crazy when it comes to faith. So, uh, right, Laura? <laughs> she's, she's a lovely woman, has followed me. Is like, I think God's calling us to do this. Okay. <laughs> all to get here. I'm really excited. So, But more than likely, Jesus is asking you to follow him exactly where you are. This is often the most difficult task to do. Because, you know, really, we want to... to we, we, we like e- emotional things. We like exciting things. Just think about... So many of you um, are almost to the age where you remember when there were only a handful of sports on TV... Right, you had baseball, basketball, football. Um, and then when you got the Olympics, you got a handful of other ones. But now, when you look at, there's all these X games, these extreme sports, and really the, the, how people live beyond 30 doing some of these things is beyond me. Um, you know, I think I hurt as, as a 48-year-old man. I can't imagine what some of these guys are going to feel like. But they're always looking for that next big thing. How far can we push our bodies? How far can we push the instruments that we've been entrusted to? But the reality is that the best testimony of a disciple of Jesus Christ is when it says, I was lost, I was found, I believed, and I followed. You know, and I'm following him where I'm at. But it's hard because the mundane task of life doesn't feel very exciting. And you know, we want this excitement in our life. And the problem is, is that we go to work sometimes, or whatever your hobby is, and we, we think that we're supposed to find meaning from work, or find meaning from our hobbies, or find meaning from our activities. And the reality is God says, no, you're supposed to bring meaning to those things. You're supposed to bring meaning to your job, to your family, to your workplace, all the activities that you do. To truly follow Jesus takes radical faith. See? So it's exciting. It takes disruptive faith. It takes a faith that is given by the Holy Spirit. You know, if you think you have faith and you're trying it on your own, that faith will not last. But God wants to give you a faith that believes things, that trusts God for all things, that believes in the promises of God. We have been convinced by the world that we should keep our faith to ourselves. It's okay that you believe that. Just don't tell others, and certainly don't tell me. Right? How many of you at times have gone, mm, i got to be careful at work because I don't want to get fired? Right? And it's really Christianity that's under attack, right? For the most part. But I know that many of us have said, oh man, you know, I got to share, I want to share, but it's very difficult to share because, uh, you know, what if someone reports me? Listen to the Apostle Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's in Romans 1, verse 16. Now you think, okay, well, sure, that's the Apostle Paul. He had this great moment on, his, on the road to Damascus. He was blinded. Three days later, he was, he was uh, prayed over. The scales fell off his eyes. He was baptized. He was learned, and now he became this great apostle. It's a great miracle that happened. You know, the same thing happened to you. Jesus spoke to you. You were, you were aware of your spiritual blindness. And you responded just like Paul did. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he gave you faith to believe, and you turned and repented, and your life was different 
doesn't mean that you didn't have struggles. doesn't mean that there weren't times where you're like, man, I don't, do I believe this thing? But you are no different than the Apostle Paul. The call to leave your life and follow Jesus has not changed. This is still what Jesus is calling us to do. This is still the message that Jesus has for the world. You know, a lot of times when people come in and they don't want to turn from their sin, but they keep making the same mistake over and over again, all... I guess maybe it's rude. I'm not sure, but I'll be like, so how's that working for you? You know, if someone's been through several divorces, and again, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in here, but if it's like their fourth or fifth, and I've said, hey, what's the common factor in all of this? You know, maybe you shouldn't be married. (laughs) You know, there's something going on here. But the reality is we love our sin, and we find ourselves in these these sin-dominating, destructive behaviors. And we have to sit there and go, how's that working for you? Because a lot of people just want to try God. Well, maybe this will work. Or I tried God in the past and, and nothing changed. You don't try God. You come and follow him. And then you get baptized. And now your life has changed radically. The world and all its passions, pleasures, and delicacies are fading away. And Jesus calls us to something that's not fading away. He calls us to eternal life. Now, before we become discouraged... And before we start questioning whether or not we are a true disciple of Jesus, we must look at the pattern of the disciples. I'm so thankful that God recorded Peter. You know, how many of you are really have read the life of Peter and go, okay, good. (laughs) He's not, he's not, oh, right. Because, you know, his, his life was exposed. He denied Jesus. He just went back to fishing. And then further on later, we see that, that even after he, he was the, the beginning of the church, he spoke the first sermon, he gets chastised by Paul because he started gravitating back towards, I just want to hang out with my people, the Jews. And God had revealed to him, no, this gospel is for the Jews and for the Gentiles. But yet he started going, ah, I'm just more comfortable here. And he got called out on it. These men dropped their careers and left everything to follow Jesus, but they didn't follow him perfectly. And listen, God does not expect you to follow him perfectly. One thing I love about that God says about uh, King David. Now we all would say, oh, David, you know, we love the Psalms. But again, here's another man's life that you're like, if he would have known that everybody for generation after generation was going to read his story, do you think maybe he would have made different choices? Probably not. He was a fleshball. But anyway, but you know, you look at it and you go, here's a man who God says, he's after my heart. He's one who pursues my heart. Yet we know David did some bad things, right? You know, he murdered some people, had a, you know, a little bit of an affair, and then had the husband murdered, right? You know, and yet, yet God says, this is a man for my heart, heart. And I love reading the Psalms because David is, is um, someone who probably needed medication, Right? But you see this, this tug and pull of, oh Lord, I'm so worthless, oh Lord, but you're great, oh Lord, why aren't you helping me? Lord, you always help me. You just see this conflict and then motions that you find in the Psalms, and it's very comforting to us because we're like, I feel like that. I feel like, oh man, Lord, I've blown it again, and I'm never good enough. And then finally the Holy Spirit goes, yet you will praise me, right? Okay, yet I will praise you, and now I feel good. But what just happened 10 minutes ago? So it's just, this is God understands you. The disciples were not without confusion and doubt. So don't put that trip on yourself that you have to know everything, and you can't be confused at times. 
They weren't without that. So in Matthew 19, verses 23 through 30, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they said, Who then can be saved? That's a great question, right? Well, camel, eye of a needle, come on now. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. What? I can't do anything for this? But with God, all things are possible. So you can do this, God? Yes. Then Peter re- said in reply, <laughs> I love Peter, well, see, but we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? I mean, you know, again, you've got to remember that his mind was, and a lot of people still today, believe if they follow Jesus, I'm going to get something. And you do, by the way. You do get a lot of great things. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have it on this earth. He will bless you. He will take care of you. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have the, the nice car, the nice house, the great career. It could mean that you might suffer a little bit. It could mean that you might have things taken away from you. It could mean your health gets taken away. Your loved one gets taken away. Your job fails. There's a lot of things that can happen. Because we're not meant to trust in this world. We're meant to be looking forward to what God has for us. Peter didn't quite get it. He goes, what will we have then? And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now they're like, yeah, right? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is why at potlucks you should go to the back of the line, right? <laughs> I want to get lots of food in heaven, I'm going to the back of the line, right? You know, probably not the, the greatest theology there. But the reality is, Jesus is saying, quit looking at, the, at this life for your reward. Now, is Jesus a blessing God? Does he give you lots of stuff? Oh, absolutely. I think everyone in here would go, hey, I should be dead right now, or I should be this right now, or I should be this, but God spared me. God loved me enough to bring me to this place. To be a disciple of Jesus is to set your mind on things above and the promises that Jesus has given you of what is to come. We are to be living for eternity and inviting others to come along on the journey to everlasting life. Listen, everybody knows there's going to come a day where they take their last breath and they wonder what's happening afterwards. They might not admit it. They might go, oh, no, I'm just returning to the dust. I don't believe in this God thing. But, you know, I've never met somebody who's going through a health crisis or almost dying that's like, that hasn't said, how do I know? How do I know? doesn't matter what they've believed their whole life. When they come to that moment when they feel frail and that they know that their life is coming to an end, they want to know that they're okay when they breathe their last. Again, some of them still hold on to their, their own rights and say, I can't believe that. But this is where the battle happens, when we're supposed to be living for eternity, but we're caught in this life. The world, all its pleasures, the flesh with all its desires, are opposed to the things of the abundant life in Christ. Listen to this quote by uh, Robert Colby. I say Colby, some people say Colb, K-O-L-B. Okay, anyway. But to try and establish our ultimate identity on what we do, rather than upon what God has done for us, always ends up in idolatry. So listen to that again. To try and establish our ultimate identity on what we do, rather than upon what God has done for us, always ends up in idolatry. 
Idolatry is something you're going to worship. I'm going to worship what I do rather than what God has done. I'm going to worship the practice that I practice rather than what God has done. I'm going to find my identity in the fact that I read my Bible, I go to church, I do good things to other people, not in what God has done for us. So now I start worshiping that. And God tears those things apart because he loves you that much. The only identity that will suffice for the believer is one that has been purchased by Christ and made new by the grace and mercy of God. This person now has been called by Jesus to follow him. And by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit, we have left our temporal identity to now eternally be a disciple of Jesus. We struggle with, with being wrapped up in the trappings of how we find our identity. I really think that the church needs to understand that this is a huge problem with our culture right now. Identity. People are longing for identity. I don't want to get political, but there's a lot of stuff and legislation to make everyone think they could be whoever they want to be and identify how they want to be when they're all longing to have true identity in Christ. That's the only thing that will suffice. We spend years pursuing careers, hobbies, we, we pour into our families. We want to buy real estate, etc. Fill in the blank. All those things are fine, by the way. And we find our value, though, in those things that we can't take with us. They will perish. Studies have revealed, actually, a high amount of temporary depression when individuals reti retire from lifelong careers. Their lives have been wrapped up in the routine of work, and they found that their value in who they are as an employee, boss, or an owner. I mean, just think about that. When you, have a, when you, when you work, and then all of a sudden you have a couple days off, and you don't have anything planned? Have you ever felt kind of lost? Like, okay, now I've kind of wasted my day. You know, I, I, we should be doing something. Couples struggle with this when their kids are grown and they leave the house. You've heard of the empty nest syndrome. It's a true thing. The pattern of their lives have been determined by being parents. And all their focus has been on the needs of the kids that when the kids are gone, they stare at one another across the table and they have to decide how to move forward. That's why parents... Try, try, try. Laura and I did not do this very well. But try to have date nights. Try to, try to show your kids that your relationship as husband and wife is important. And that the kids, the kids are important too, but they're not, they're not the ones who rule this house. The, the most important thing is the marriage. And if you are a single parent, I, I encourage you to get some grandparents or, or adopt some grandparents to get involved. So that those kids can see the importance of what a real family looks like. Being a disciple of Jesus is all or nothing. I don't like it when you say that, Kirk. Well, I don't like it either, and I just said it. It's all or nothing because the reality is so. There, there's a there's a great old hymn that that I used to lead a lot, but I I, I put it aside because it's a really I think I'm singing a lie when I sing it. But it says, I surrender all, right? You guys are probably familiar with it. I surrender all. And in the every time I've led it, I'm like, well, I want to, but I know I can't, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's going through my mind as I'm leading people. And I, I know the idea is great. I want to surrender all. Lord, here I am. Take all of me. But the reality is I'm going to walk out of this building and I'm going to start being selfish again. It's just how it is. I mean, many of us who go to church, when it gets a certain time, we start going, man, where are we going to go to lunch today? You know, things like that. What's happening afterwards? You know, I wonder how busy the store is going to be because of Super Bowl. It was really busy yesterday, I will tell you that. But we have been convinced, especially in America, that we can have our lifestyles, live according to our passions. Oh, and you can have Jesus too. 
Jesus explains that we cannot serve two masters. You know, how, well, how does he say it? You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You know what? We can't multitask in spirituality. Most of you will tell you that, that oh, I'm a great multitasker. The reality is, studies have shown that's not exactly true. You might be able to do multiple things at once, but you can't really focus on more than one thing. So if, if you're multitasking, you're, you're, you're starting to divide your attention. I'm focusing this, now I'm focusing on this, now I'm focusing on this. That's, that's what multitasking is. It's not true focus on anything. Nothing gets, so one thing at a time will only get your attention. Children, family, careers, power, position, and the pursuit of things that do not last are all things that challenge the lordship of Jesus and fight for our attention. But Jesus has called you, and he has said, come follow me. And by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we have said yes. You know, you look at this scene when he's calling his disciples, and it wasn't like, you know, there was this, this grand calling they just, he just walked by and said, hey, come follow me. And because of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, they went, okay. Did they have a clue what they were getting into? Did they have a clue that in three and a half years their Savior was going to die and then raise again? Did they have a clue that, that probably a short time after that they were going to be persecuted and most of them were going to die for their faith? They didn't know that. In fact, how, on a side note, how often has God said, hey, follow me here? And you're like, okay, I'm following God. And then something happens. You're like, why did I follow you here? And he's like, because if I would have told you, you wouldn't have done it. But what did you learn? How much did you learn to trust me? How much have I shown you? How are you able to now invite other people into this great journey because I've shown my faithfulness to you? The cost of discipleship can seem harsh and troubling. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, be my disciple. What? Come on. I don't like that. I don't like that. But I think there's a key principle here. We must, and it's good for us when we do this, we must love Jesus above all other things, including people, including yourself. And once we do that, what does he say, what's he say the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you can love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Because when we love God first, and this is the battle, when we love God first, I can then appropriately love my spouse. I can appropriately love my co-workers, my children, and I can appropriately even love myself. I can't love myself if I don't love God. So let's love God first. So the challenge for us is to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to search our hearts and to see what is competing with Jesus for our devotion. Psalm 139, David says at the end, he search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting or anxious thoughts is another translation. We need to open ourselves and say, Lord, you have drawn me to this place. I cannot do this on my own, so I lay myself before you. Do what you need to do. When we respond to that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he will lead us to following the call of Jesus with everything that we are. Like Romans 12:1 says, present your bodies to be a living sacrifice. When we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, He empowers us to have a joy, a peace, and a love that cannot be contained. And you've all been there. You've had these moments where you're like, oh, I'm so in love with Jesus. This is awesome. I don't want to leave this place. Remember, Jesus did not save us to sit. He saved us to send us. But He, was, he has never required for us to do this on our own. He claims us as his own and has marked his ownership on us with his very spirit, the guarantee of eternal life. 
Again, we no longer live for the things of this world. Now listen, there are some enjoyable things. We had a great time at paint night the other night. You know, it was fun. But the reason it was fun was not because, well, there were a few good artists in there, but not me. There are a couple sitting in here that did a really good job, right? But the reality is it was just fun to enjoy. We're creating, sort of. They're kind of guiding us. But we're creating and we're hanging out and we're laughing with one another. And it's enjoying life. But you know what? I'll tell you something. If Jesus wasn't part of it, it would have just been a night throwing some paint on sponges and wiping them on a canvas. Big deal. But what was fun for us was connecting with other people. That's what's going to last. You know, our canvas might last if, if we ever put them up on the wall. But anyway, uh, but you know, they might last for a while, but what we enjoyed was getting to know each other and laughing with other people. We no longer live for the things of this world, but we enjoy this life from a stature of gratitude and a wonderful gift in the calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you, whatever you're doing, say, Lord, I want to thank you in this moment. I want to thank you that I have a job. I want to thank you that, that I have a meal. I want to thank you that I get to sometimes just sit and take a break and watch some TV. I want to thank you that I get to go outside. I want to thank you that we would work on this life of gratitude. Maybe you're listening to this message and you sense that you have placed something above the devotion to Jesus. Now listen, we are sensitive to spiritual matters, so it's easy for us to start focusing on ourselves and go, yeah, I'm just not doing it right. You know that Jesus called you, and there was a time when all that mattered was growing in his grace, gathering together with other believers and going out to share God's love. However, there's something has crept in and begun to erode your devotion to Christ, and your joy is diminished. But listen, Jesus is faithful, and he has brought you to this moment to hear that, we, that he still beckons you to come and follow him. He is trustworthy. You can leave that which you find your value in and be overwhelmed with the value that God has placed on you. God values you and mankind so much that he made a way for us to be forgiven. We're going to celebrate that at the table today. As he says, my presence is here in these elements. I want to pour out my gifts of, of love and forgiveness. And I want to assure you that you're mine. We were dead in our trespasses. And Jesus breathed life into us. He went to the cross, motivated by love, with the joy of calling you and I to follow him to a life that is beyond compare. I encourage you to hang out with people who have been walking with Christ for a long time. They will tell you it's worth it. They won't tell you it's easy, but they'll tell you it's worth it. That's again, it's important for us to gather together. And to encourage one another to gather together because God has put us together as a family, as a body of Christ. So we want to take a moment. This, this message is, you know, being called his disciple is a heavy one. It, it really is. And I think that, that when we come together, we're already sensitive to the things of the Spirit because we're coming into this moment saying, Hey, Lord, I, I want to worship you. I want to honor you. I want to be among your people. And the last thing we want is for you to leave and go, yeah, I'm just not living up. What I want is for you to have an encounter with God. What I want is for you to take the moment and say, Lord, here I am. Do as you wish. And he will give you such great joy and confidence that he is trustworthy. But it takes us being willing. And he won't force himself upon you. But you have entered into a contract with him through his mercy and his grace. So let's take some time and pray.